Each spring, Pensacola Christian College hosts the Enrichment Retreat designed for pastors, ministry leaders, and church staff to enjoy a time of rest and to be refreshed by the Word of God. Today's message was from a past Enrichment Retreat keynote speaker. Visit EnrichmentRetreat.com for details or to learn more about the upcoming retreat. Hey, take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to talk about balancing the Christian life. I, 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 I grew up in the ministry uh, listening to men who said you need to burn out for Jesus. You just need to go, 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 grow, 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 build a, a church. That's your priority. If you do what God wants you to do, then, then God will take care of your wife. God will take care of your family. You just need to go and get everything done uh, for God. Just go and go and go. And I am by nature a workaholic. I, I really do like what I do. Uh, people have asked me, when are you going to retire? I don't plan on retiring. I'm not tired. And uh, I, I like doing what I'm doing. I like going. I like, I, I like, I like soul winning. I like door knocking. I like, I like visiting with people. I like, I, I'm just very, very much a people person. I like to be around people. I like uh, to share the word of God. That's what I like to do. Uh, but uh, the, the fact of the matter is, I was, I, I, and, and so, so that, type of, that type of message that type of message just feeds me when somebody says, just go, get that. we've got to go, we've got to burn out for Jesus. And yet the Bible tells us some very interesting things. The Bible, in, in Micah, the Bible says, he has showed thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord doth require of thee, but to do justly, do that which is just, and to love mercy, be merciful. And to walk humbly before your God. There's not a whole lot in there about anything else. Just be right with me. Have a right relationship with me. And when we, we come to First Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, an older preacher, telling a younger preacher, in First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, he says, Look, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. As a pastor, my responsibility is to be an example to everyone within the church. I'm, some, I'm supposed to be an example family. I shouldn't be complaining about living in a glass house when I, I signed up for that. I'm to be an example. He says, what to be an example in? He says, to be an example in word, in everything that you say, what I say. I need to be an example uh, in my words. I need to be an example not just in my words, but in my conversation. That is my lifestyle, my very lifestyle. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to, uh, people are supposed to emulate. That's why I think the, the requirements are given there in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Titus chapter 1. That I'm supposed to be an example in my very lifestyle, in charity, in the way that I love people, in the way that I love my God, in the way that I love my wife, in the way that I love my children, I'm supposed to be an example. In spirit, I mean, my attitude, that I need to have that right attitude in everything that I do and say. In faith, in what the, in believing God, that if I do what God wants me to do, that he will take care of those things. If, I, if I'm taking the word of God, and that's faith, taking what the word of God says and doing what it says to do, uh, maybe even contrary to my common sense, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I live that. I'm the example to the believers. And in impurity, oh boy, we need that. We need to understand how important it is that we 
are the example of purity, that we're constantly guarding our minds, that we're constantly guarding what we're listening to, that we're constantly guarding what we look at, that we're constantly guarding, guarding where we go. God's word is very clear about that. I'm to be an example. Well, when I started the, when we went out to Las Vegas, I I had met my wife. We determined we wanted to have the right type of relationship. We, had, we were burdened about going to Las Vegas and starting a church. I knew that's what God wanted me to do. I was born and raised in Las Vegas. When I first met my wife, we talked about, about the fact that, we, that I wanted to go out to Las Vegas and start a church. And, and my whole intent uh, throughout my college years was to go eventually back to Las Vegas and start a church. So when, uh, I, when we graduated and, uh, and we left, we, our intent was to go to Las Vegas and start a church. We had some concerns. I had some concerns because I had grown up in a dysfunctional family, and I didn't want to have a dysfunctional family. Uh, The world was in chaos at the time. We had just come out of the 1960s revolution. Uh, Things were all crazy around us. Uh, I I wanted, more than anything in the world, ever since my dad died when I was 10 years old, I wanted to have a family, with a, a real family, with a father and a mother and children, and I wanted to raise those children uh, for, for God, and I wanted them to serve God. And I, and, and I thought, man, with the way the world is today, will I be able to raise kids that really want to serve the Lord? So we got out to Las Vegas, and we saw all that was going on, and we, we had to, in our, in our lives, we had to sit down and say, look, honey, uh, she was born and raised in Pennsylvania. Um, I tell people she was born and raised in, in, uh, uh, near a creek, uh, right in, out in the country next to a creek. And I moved her to a city right next to a drainage ditch. And we stayed there for 25 years. So that's where, that's, that was huge difference. Her culture was totally different. Uh, she was raised very protective. I used to kid her and tell her she was my Amish girlfriend because she lived right in the Amish area. And, uh, and then there was me. I was, uh, again, my dad died when I was 10 years old. My mom was a working mom. Uh, she tried to get us to go to church, and, and she tried to keep us doing right. But the fact of the matter is, I was sort of free. I, I, when I was 15 years old, I had a motorcycle. It was all over Las Vegas. You could get a motorcycle's license at 15 years old, and you could do what you wanted to do. Uh, there were things that, I, that, that I, would, I was allowed to do that her mother would never have allowed her to do. And then we meet in Lynchburg, Virginia. In Lynchburg, Virginia, we had all the rules and the regulations of the Southeast. Uh, every fundamentalist thing that there was that you had to live by were, were taught us for four years. And I was absorbing things. I was taking things in. And, man, I'm listening to these great preachers who are sacrificing everything for God. And that's what I wanted to do. Yet I wanted to be married, and I wanted to have a, the right, right type of family, and I wanted to be the right type of husband. And I thought, man, how can I do that? How do you balance all of that together? How, do you, how, 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 can I, how can I do that? My wife and I went out to a, a place called Lake Mead, which is right outside of Las Vegas. We, stood, we went out in the desert, uh, out looking at the lake, and we sat down and said, listen, you're from Pennsylvania, I'm from Las Vegas, we were trained in Virginia, we've got to decide what we're going to do here in Las Vegas. We've heard all sorts of messages. We want to decide what is going to be our priorities. We, we wanted to make sure that we were right so we could be what God wants us to be. 
And, and we had to determine for our, for our family, we had to determine for our family what was, what were, what were, what were going to be our, our priorities. How were we going to live? And uh, we sat down and talked about those things. I, uh, I, I said to my wife, uh, I said, we need to have time together. And I'm so glad that somebody uh, shared with us some bi- basic Bible principles before we ever got into ministry. And I want to share with you some of those things regarding the balanced Christian life this morning. In Ephesians chapter 5, and, and by the way, I've, I've got some extra notes here, but, but, but uh, and my first point is making sure you have a right relationship with God, but I've focused on that the last two or three times that I've talked. So again, remember your number one priority is re- your relationship with God. But secondly, my human priority, my number one human priority is my relationship with my wife. Your ministry begins with your family, and it will end with your family. Your, your ministry to your family, and particularly to your wife, mister, is absolutely essential. The Bible tells us this in Ephesians 5 and verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. He doesn't give a, he doesn't give, um, just give us a command and then not tell us what he means. He says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And he gave himself for it. That, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. No man ever yet hated his own body, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. Father, I've just got a few minutes to talk about one of the most important things in the entire world. The relationship of a husband and wife and our relationship with our children. And I pray, Father, that you would just help me to communicate to each person here the importance of these relationships. And I pray that no one will leave here today, uh, Father, without making a, a, new, a new commitment to be the kind of husband, to be, be the kind of wife, and to be the kind of parents, God, you want them to be. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We started our church, my wife and I sat down together, as I was saying, and we, we talked. We said, what are gonna, what's going to be our parameters for ministry? 
We said, listen, we're going to make sure that we take time with our children. We're going to make sure that we spend time with our children. And we're going to make sure that we spend time with one another. My, uh, uh, we, we determined that we were going to take at least one day off per week. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I, I have fought this for 43 years. I've had preachers who say, you don't need to take a day off. And, and preachers, I've, I've, I've preached in conferences and afterwards had preachers stand up and say, say, listen, you know, some people need to take a day off and other people don't. And we love Pastor Tice, uh, but, you know, you don't need it. I'm going to tell you this. Your family needs you to take a day with you. I tell people I'm a pastor 24 hours a day, seven days a week. One day a week, I designated to pastor my family. That happened to be for me on Monday. I was going to take Monday. I was going to spend Monday with my family. I was going to have fun with my family. My family did a podcast about three years ago where all of my kids were together on a stage And they were there for one reason, and that was to talk about how they were raised in my home. That is a scary thing. I have five children, and and they're all clowns, and they all think, uh, and and they they were there. Uh, I I didn't listen to that for about two or three weeks, and then I decided I was going to listen to it, and I watched it. One thing that they said over and over and over again was this word. They used this word over and over again. They used the word fun. We had fun. We did this. We did that. We had fun. We did this. I wanted my children to grow up knowing that ministry was fun, that life in ministry was a blast, that this was a great day. But people say, time flies when you're having fun. I say, I must be having a ball because it's going crazy. We, we, uh, we had fun. We determined that we were going to enjoy our children. My wife and I, before we had children, determined we were going to enjoy each other. We were going to spend time with each other. I remember sitting with my wife before we got married and, I'm say, and saying to her, saying, listen, you know what? I want you to understand what I'm going to do. When I get married, I'm going to be on fire for Jesus because I had heard this preacher get up and talk about going out and giving it all for Jesus. And I said, I'm going to be on fire for Jesus. You probably Probably won't see me much. I'm going to be traveling, preaching, reaching multitudes for the gospel. And she said to me, some very wise words, she said, well, then if that's the case, let's not get married. She said, because I'm not marrying you to be gone from you. I'm marrying you to be with you. And I thought, whoa, that didn't sound so spiritual. You know, I mean, I thought I was just telling you about reaching the world. And you said, and, and the, the deal is, she just said, I want to be involved in ministry with you. And that's why you get married. You get married to be with your wife. The Bible says I'm to love my wife the way Christ loved the church. The Bible tells us as a father, I'm not to provoke my children to wrath. And so we sat down and said, hey, we're going to take every Monday, we're going to spend time together. I said, we, we got together and, and said, look, we're going we're gonna to take at least... Uh, this is early on in our ministry. We, we're going to take at least a two-week vacation away from everybody else, and we're just going to spend time with our family. We made that we made that commitment uh, before our church even actually started, and we lived that way for the last forty-three years. We we determined we were going to do this together. That we were in on this together. And I'm going to encourage you to think about that. Our second year. 
I had helped, before we started a church in Las Vegas, I had helped plant a church in North Carolina, and I had a friend who had planted another church not far from the church we had helped plant in North Carolina. So on our first year, we took off and took a vacation across country. When our church first opened, our church was just like any other church, very slow in, in, getting, in getting moving. Um, but uh, and but our, so about the at our first anniversary, we were running about sixty or seventy people, and uh, and uh, we we're excited about what God was doing. We get back to to North Carolina. I, I visited a church, the church that we helped plant, and then I I went over to see my friend who had planted a church about thirty miles away from there. His name was Lewis. I said I I, I went to see him, and man, it was amazing. His church was running about two hundred people. It was only a year old. And I thought, man, this is amazing. Look what Lewis is doing. He was just an amazing guy. And, and the guy was a fireball of a preacher, great expositor, good, good preacher, and very aggressive with people. And so I looked at what was going on. I thought, man, this is great. Lewis had been married before he went to seminary. He had, some, he had a couple of children, and he had, was married again. Uh, and when, when he went back, he went with a family to start. So I, 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 wa- I just went over to see him, and I told him, hey, it was good to see you. We talked for a little while, and I left. The following year, I came the same way back on vacation. We stopped by to see my pastor, uh, and then we went over to see Lewis just to drive through. He was already in a building program. Their church, by that time, was running around 500 people. I said, this is amazing. And he looked at me and he said, and our church was running about 150. He said, uh, we had a big day on our second anniversary of 210 people. But this is how we did it. We had like a a huge singing group uh, come in and we had all sorts of people. In order to get that big number, we'd say, hey, look what we had. And we didn't tell them half of them were guest uh, speakers and stuff that were coming in. But so we had this, uh, I went back there and I saw Lewis. Lewis is getting ready to build a building. Things are going great. He's running around fire. I said, man, this is amazing. He said, Dave, let me sit down and talk to you for just a minute, real seriously. He said, you know the difference between you and me? And he said, you know why you will never build a great work for God? I said, why? He said, because you play too much. He said, you play around. He said, you know what? This is the second year you've been on vacation. He said, you've taken a vacation twice in the last two years. You know how many vacations I've taken? None. He said, you probably take a day off. I said, yeah, I take a day off every Monday. He said, he said, I don't take a day off. He said, I'm busy doing the work of God, and that's why we're prospering, and that's why you're not, and you'll never build a work for God. I thought, wow, that's amazing. It was not till his fifth anniversary that Lewis reaped the consequences of his behavior. At that point, the church split his wife because his wife had left him. His daughter, who was a wonderfully beautiful, loving Christian girl who had brought him to Christ, was now living the life of a harlot. He is now known, I mean, years later, he, he was the drunk and he was the womanizer in that town that he had started. And the name of Jesus Christ was mocked. It is absolutely essential, buddy, that you love your wife And that you love her the way Christ loved the church. And you need to understand, when the Bible says you leave father and mother and sister and and, uh, uh, whatever. But God never tells me to violate his word of God, his word. 
in order to do what he's called you to do. You're supposed to do what God tells you to do. You're to do that which is just. You're to do that which is holy. You're to be the example to the believer. And you need to love your wife, and you need to love her unconditionally. Look what the Bible tells us in this passage about how we're to love our wives. We're to love her unconditionally. The word agape, you know this, means unconditional love. That means you treat her wonderfully, no matter how she treats you. You don't know the way my wife is. I don't need to know how your wife is. God says you love her unconditionally. You know the church is oftentimes selfish. You know the church is oftentimes disobedient. You know the church of, uh, of Jesus Christ oftentimes shows no respect to Jesus. And you know what? That doesn't change his love for us one bit. The Bible tells us we love him because he first loved us. None of that curtails the love of God in our life. And we're to love our wives the way... Christ love the church. Before we get married, we bring her flowers. Before we get married, we, we, we took her on dates. Before we get married, we waited patiently. Knock on the door. Is Anna ready? She's not? No problem. I'll wait. Let her take all the time she needs. That which is worth having is worth waiting for. You take all the time you need, honey. Oh, it's no, I'm sorry I'm late. Oh, no problem. Come on, let's go. Let me open the door for you. Aren't we in a hurry? We're never in a hurry, honey. You just get right in there. And how that changes after we get married. Uh-huh. Uh, where, where are you? It's time to go. We're going to be late. Husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. You know, he pursues us. He loves us. He runs after us. We're to love our wives that way. I'm telling you, listen, man, she is your priority. And you, it doesn't matter what that person in the church thinks because you, uh, you spend so much time with her. Huh. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives in Colossians and be not bitter against them. Don't allow Satan to put bitterness in your heart towards your wife. Love her. Love her unconditionally. Number two, it says, husbands, sanctify your wives. The word sanctify, and you know this, it means to set apart. Your wife should feel like she is number one to you. Can I tell you this, what Jesus did? The Bible tells us in the Old Testament that God said, you're going to leave your father and mother, and you're going to cleave unto your wife, and you two shall be one flesh. That's what the Bible says. That's what God told Adam. What did Jesus do? For a bride that would be selfish and self-centered, and for, for a bride that would be oftentimes disobedient, God the Son left God the Father, and he came to this earth. While he lived for 33 years on this earth to get you and to get me, to get his bride, he was spit upon, he was beat, his back was ripped to shreds, he was mocked, he was hung on a cross. And while he hung on the cross, God the Father turned his back on God the Son and he cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He left his Father to be united with you, his bride. Husbands, love your wives. Let her feel like we, we're number one to him. He loved us. We're to love our wives the way Christ loved the church. 
that is my priority. That is that she should feel like there is nobody else in the world that is more important to her or to, to, to me than her. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 7 says, Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Does your wife feel honored by you? Does she feel like you think that she is more important than anything else in the world? Does she feel like she's put on a pedestal? Or does she feel like she's being drugged behind you continually? Husbands love your wives. Number three, husbands should protect their wives' purity. I want you to see this. I want you to look in, uh, again in verse, um, in verse 26. It said that he might sanctify the, and, and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. Interesting. He says here that Jesus protects our purity and he washes us and he cleanses us so that he can present us to himself a pure vessel. Can I ask you a question just to think about? Would would Christ ever ask you to do anything that would make you feel dirty or unclean or unholy? I think not. Here we have, we have Christ who cleanses us and washes us. He would never do that. And I, I, I say that just to say this, that men will often ask me, what is appropriate and what is inappropriate in the marriage bed? What is okay and what is not okay? Our, uh, the day of the sexual revolution came upon us in the 1960s and it is all upon us right now. And the question is asked uh, oftentimes in my office, what is appropriate and what isn't appropriate in the physical relationship between a husband and wife? Well, can I tell you this? Uh, the, the Bible says that God has ordained the marriage bed. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, the Bible says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. God has sanctified the physical relationship between the husband and wife. It is a holy, just, wonderful, beautiful thing that God wants for the husband and the wife. God has set that as wonderful, holy, just, and good. Within that, however, within the physical realm, there are some things that have come up in the last 40 years, questions about what is right and what is wrong. And I've told men this over and over again. If your wife, again, not understanding this, that the physical relationship that God has ordained is holy and just, and if if you feel dirty in that relationship, then you need to get some Bible counseling. But beyond that, there there are questionable things. And I've told men for years that God would never ask us to do anything that would make us feel demeaned, dirty, or unclean. And when you're asking yourself what is appropriate and what is inappropriate, then just ask yourself, am I asking my wife, does my wife feel dirty, unclean, or demeaned in a particular act? And that'll help you with those decisions.
Husbands, sanctify your wives. Husbands, protect your wives' purity. Husbands should love their wives, he says in verses 28 and 29, as their own bodies. The idea is, he says, nourishing it. That is treating it. The word nourish means to feed it and bring it to maturity. We're to take care of the physical and emotional needs of our wives patiently to the point of response. That's what God says husbands are to do with their wives. Cherish them. The word cherish means to warm, to keep warm, to foster with tender care. And that's not a process that takes place overnight. It's a matter of letting your wife know that you love her and caring about her. A woman responds to the sensitivity of her husband. A woman's basic need in marriage is her basic, basic need is security. And she gets that security when she knows that her husband is sensitive to his need, to, to her needs. He's sensitive. He's listening. Give her everything she needs to feel secure. That's what, that's what Paul says we're to do in loving our wives. What does that mean? Well, it's practically, what does that mean? That means practically, uh, that would include you rubbing her feet. Say, so what do you mean? I, I, you know, I, I, I've, 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 I think of this. It's a very strange thing that women do. I, I, I just thought my wife was strange. She would say to me when we first got married, would you rub my feet? Why does a woman want her feet rubbed? I have no idea. But she wanted her feet rubbed. And I thought, this is a strange woman that I'm married to. But the Bible says I'm to love her. I'm, gonna, I'm supposed to, in 1 Corinthians, give her due benevolence. So, so I rub her feet. And, and I thought, this is just a strange thing. But then my daughters, I have three daughters, they all became teenagers. And they would all say to me, Dad, would you rub my feet? Now I got, I got three daughters wanting their feet rubbed. I think this is a real, this is a genetic problem uh, in our home. It's gone from generation to generation. They want their feet rubbed. Then I thought, I thought this was just within our family. But then I started watching Hallmark movies. It's a racial thing. I mean, it's, it's a part of the, of the feminine race. They, everybody wants their feet rubbed. Well, listen, the Bible says I'm supposed to love her. And I'm supposed to cherish her. So though I do not understand it, don't touch my feet. Uh, I'm supposed to do that. I, I should have, your ear should be open to hear and listen to her concerns. The things that she's concerned about. My wife wants to talk about family. She wants to talk about friends. She wants to talk about uh, people's uh, feelings. She wants to talk about things, things that honestly I don't care about. And she knows that I don't care about. And I need to learn to care about those things. It's your prayers for her daily needs. Your wife needs to hear you pray for her on a daily basis. Does she hear you pray for her? Members in your church ask, hey, pastor, would you pray for me? Would, do you pray for your wife? Does your wife hear you pray for her? You don't have to be some long prayer. I, I, I pray for my wife. I say, Lord, I pray for my wife. I pray, Father, for... Uh, that you'd help her to stay healthy and whole physically, mentally, and spiritually. I pray, Father, that you'd touch her. I pray, Father, you'll help her to sleep well tonight. And I ask this in Jesus' name. You know, my wife will say thank you. Thank you. Just because I took time to say those half a minute prayer for her. My wife will say, 
David, you need to pray for the kids because this situation taken on, and I'll stay. I'll, whatever I'm doing, I stop and say, Lord, I pray for... Uh, I pray for Matthew. I pray that you just take care of the situation, you know, the need that he's in. Joshua was coughing a little bit a week or two ago, and she was concerned. And like every day, she would say, did you pray for Joshua's lungs today? Uh, No, I didn't even think about Joshua's lungs today. But uh, she did, because she's a mom. And she says, Lord, I'm driving down the road. I say, Lord, I I pray for Joshua's lungs. I pray you'd heal him. I pray you'd keep him well. Uh, your, your, your wife hearing you pray for the things that she wants you to pray for, your help in taking care of the children, your children, in your house. This is, this is loving your wife. Your understanding when she fails. It's so easy to jump on those that are closest to us when they make a mistake. Your assistance in taking care of your home. Man, all of those things. Just... Letting your wife know, loving her the way you love your own body. Let me give you a fifth thing. Husbands should serve their wives. I say this. I say this, that God's plan for marriage is one man serving one woman for one lifetime. You say, why do you say that? What do you mean serving one man, serving one woman? Do you realize that the Bible says that the husband is the head of the home? just as Christ is the head of the church. And do you know that when we get to heaven, what Christ is going to do for the church, he's going to sit us down, and the Bible says he's going to serve us. Isn't that a humbling thought? He's going to sit us down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. He is going to serve us. And we're going to love our wives the way Christ loves the church. You know what, that, you know what the idea there is? That when you come home, after you've worked all day long and you've dealt with this problem and that problem and this problem and that problem, there should be a place driving down the road that you say, okay, I'm clicking off the ministry uh, to other people and I'm clicking on that when I get home, my wife's going to need me. My wife and I uh, have five children. When When I get home, she spent the last eight hours dealing with my children who all act like me. And that is really a tough situation. She hasn't been able to communicate to a, 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 a full-grown human being all day. The house may not be, I need to say this in my mind, my house might not be exactly what I think it should be. Uh, I, I, she needs me now to think about her. I'm supposed to go home and serve my wife. Why? Because I'm the head of the church. I'm the head of the home. The Bible says that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. You are the servant in your home. You're supposed to go home and serve your wife. You say, what if the house is a mess? Well, you help her. You take responsibility. Husbands are to love their wives the way Christ loved the church. The the truth of the matter is, you say, are you going to talk about wives? No, they're in a ladies' session right now. Most of them. And ladies, I hope you're taking notes for your husband if, 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 she's not, if he's not here. Husbands are to love their wives for, again, the Son of Man came not to be ministered or to be served, but to serve. The Bible tells us that the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven will be servant of all. That's who we are. As husbands, we're to love our wives and serve them. Let me give you another thing. Husbands should take the blame. 
Do you know this? And, and, we, and the song that we heard this morning is just so true. The Bible teaches us that Christ is our advocate. When the devil goes to the throne of God to make an accusation against David Tice, Jesus, he, here's what Dave Tice did. Jesus says, well, wait, 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 wait. That wasn't Dave Tice. That was me. He takes responsibility for everything I do. He takes the blame. I've, I don't know how many times in our ministry have had men come to me and say to me, well, pastor, you know, I'd be in, I'd be, I'd be in full-time ministry if it wasn't for my wife. Ooh. Husbands love your wives the way Christ. You know, hey, preacher, we'd have been here on time, but you know the old lady. Hmm. You know the way she is. I've watched as husbands walk in, uh, their, their hands, oh, I'm sorry we're late. You know, the wife just couldn't get, and the wife is dragging five kids behind her, and she's carrying stuff, and the guy's just acting like an idiot. Look, you take the blame. You say, what if my house is always a mess? You take the blame. Say, what if we're never on time? You take the blame. The fact of the matter is you are the head of the house. And you need to take responsibility for that which God put you in charge of. Husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. You say, preacher, you you do all these things? No, I wish I did. I wish I applied all this all the time. I'm just telling you, if we're going to love our wives the way Christ loved the church, we need to do these things. Let me say this too. Husbands should adore their wives. So easy after you're married for a while to find fault with all the things that they do wrong. Can I tell you this? Jesus said I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. That's why Jesus came. We're to adore him. God adores us. If you read the the Song of Solomon, you read the Song of Solomon, it's supposed to be a love. People have said this for years. It's a love it's a, it's a picture of the love that God has for us. Well, take a look at what the Song of Solomon, how Solomon describes his wife in there. Go to chapter 7. He describes her physically from the top of her head to the bottom of her toes, and he tells us all about her. She's gorgeous. Oh, she's, he even says she's got a wonderful belly button. I mean, she just really gets into her and adores her, tells us how much he, how he adores her, his wife. Can I tell you this, that God adores us. He loves us. Does your wife know that you adore her? Do you, do you tell her things? Do you, do you let her know that she's special to you? Do you let her know you like to watch her? I, 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 my, my mentor, a man named Sumner Wimp, used to come out and preach for us, our missions conference every year. And, and uh, Sumner Wimp was 76 years old. He liked to eat crab legs. And so after the missions conference was over one day, I took him out. He, uh, he and I were sitting in the front seat. His wife and my wife were sitting in the back seat. And uh, we got out of the car. And uh, uh, we got out of the car, and, and we were walking. My wife and his wife were, were walking in front of us, and they were talking. And he and I were about 10 feet behind him. And he gets us up to where we're about 6 feet behind him, just where his wife could hear him. And his wife said, and then he said this, hey, Dave. I said, what? He said, he said hey, have you, you see that? And he pointed to his wife's legs. And he said, you ever seen a pair of legs on a 76-year-old woman that look that good? And, I, and, and uh, I laughed, and his wife said, oh, stop it. 
which meant, keep it up, buddy. (laughs) She, at 76 years old, wanted her husband to adore her. Your your wife needs to hear, I love you. I love you. I was walking out of of the auditorium one day, and uh, we have several several, uh, aisles that you can walk down. I saw my wife. She's standing in the midst of a crowd, and I'm thinking nobody's going to note what I'm doing. I walk by my wife. She's just standing there. I walked by, and I gave her a little pat where only I should be patting her. I patted her. And when I did that, a lady in our church over here, her name was Mrs. Silva. We used to call her Mama Silva. And she, she, she looked over, and she said, I saw that. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. She said, no, go tell Tony to do that. Your wife wants your adoration. She wants you to know, she wants to know that you still adore her, that you still love her, that you still, uh, that you still care about her. Husbands, adore your wives. Love your wives the way Christ loved the church. Now look, we made a determination. We made a determination. Look, were we in ministry? Look, we worked hard in ministry. We still do. We are, uh, at the end of the day, I'm exhausted. That's why you need, if, if, and my wife will say this, if God took a day off, David, then you need to take a day off. And it's not a day off. It's a day to switch your ministry focus from, your, from, from everybody else in the world to that one, the only one, who will ever say to you, I'm willing to, to stick with you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love, honor, and cherish you till death. Only one person in the entire world has ever said that. My kids have never said that to me. My, my daughter said, hey, Dad, we'll take you for everything you can, we can, and then we're going to get married, and you're going to have to pay for us to leave. I, I mean, we've had three weddings, and I'm sure glad. I feel I've been enriched now. But the fact of the matter is there's only one person who said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health till death, and that's my wife. So she's going to come first. And then for us together, our priority is our children. Our children know, they know that we have, have spent time with them. We'll put up, we'll do anything to let them know they are more important to us than anything else in the world. And that means spending time. Well, I... Spend quality time, not quantity time. You cannot spend quality time with your children unless you're spending quantity time with it. And you say, well, I'd have to give up some other things. Then give them up. Because I'm telling you this, you'll never make a greater impact on anyone than on your family, your wife, and your children. You can balance it out. You say, well, what does that mean? It it might mean less sleep for you. It might, it, might mean less, uh, it might mean you don't get to enjoy some of the things you do, but I'm telling you this, you will be rewarded. My children are all living for the Lord and by the mercy of God. My children are all loving the Lord. My grandchildren, my, my children go places and they say, would you come with us? I can't possibly go all the places my kids want me to go with them because they still want to be with me because we poured our lives into each other and then together we poured our lives into our children. And you can do that. And listen, anything that robs you, anything that robs you from your wife and your children and your family relationship that's called ministry is not a ministry of God. It's from the devil. And you need to understand that. I share with you my heart. I share with you this truth. 
Love your wives the way Christ loved the church. Don't provoke your children to wrath. Bring them up. That takes your time in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You'll not regret it. The t- time will come in your life where you'll say, wow, this is the greatest ministry I've had. And they'll be ministering and doing things you never thought would ever get done because you're spending time with them. Love your wife, love your children, and serve God in doing that. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord doth require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. You've been listening to a message from the Pensacola Christian College Enrichment Retreat. You're welcome to pass this message along to others, but we ask that you do not charge for it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. If you're a pastor or ministry leader, join us for the next Enrichment Retreat and experience a time of physical rest and spiritual refreshment. To learn more, visit enrichmentretreat.com.